Hi, this is Shauna, the CEO and founder of Fuel Talent. One of the things I have loved most in my 25-year recruiting career has always been the stories that people tell. Stories of leadership, career choices, company ideas, and team building. My inspiration for starting the What Fuels You podcast came from being curious about people's lives and wanting to help share their stories. What path brought them to this place? What decisions did they make that led to failures and successes? Who influenced those decisions and what lessons were learned along the way? I hope you enjoy the What Fuels You podcast. I'm so excited to introduce today's guest on the What Fuels You podcast. Sheila Andreen, CEO and founder of IndieFlix, is impressive in every sense of the word. She started her career in entertainment on the set of The Wonder Years, tidying up wardrobe hangers, and it didn't take long until she was leading the costume department. Sheila worked as a costume designer for years before taking a crack at filmmaking. Her first film received Oscar consideration, and she has since produced and distributed some widely successful films. In 2005, Sheila started IndieFlix, which has become one of the most meaningful global screening and subscription streaming services, working to create positive change in the world through film. Welcome, Sheila. Oh, thanks for having me, Shauna. It's so fun to see you. Um, Okay, so we're going to start with Rapid Fire, and it's specific to you, so it might be tough, but what's your favorite film? Do you have one? I do. I have a couple. Um, I love Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, the original one. Okay. And I love, of course, Breakfast at Tiffany's. I love uh, Crash. Oh, I loved Crash. I love, um, gosh, I mean, I I love... um, a diving Bell on the du- Butterfly. Okay. I have. I need and to, like, add these to my list. Searching for Sugar Man documentary. Amazing. Uh, I love some of the movies, like Finding Kind, which was a movie that I'm, I'm very much involved with, Take Around the World, which is about girl bullying. Oh, I saw that. That came out eight years ago, and we're still touring around You're the world still with touring. it. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. No, I, I've, um, I have sort of uh, varied tastes. I'm a huge romantic comedy fan, but I also love heist movies, yeah. bank robberies. Yeah. You know, Do you like um, courtroom, courtroom drama? Love courtroom yeah, I love drama. Courtroom I wanted drama. to be a litigator. Yeah, okay. You'd be good at that. Oh, yeah. um, who's a woman that you most admire? A woman I most admire? I mean, honestly, um, so cliche, but if you'd asked me this a while ago, I wouldn't have said this, but my mom. Oh. <laughs> Is she Actually, still alive? Oh, yeah. yeah. No, she works for me. Oh, I get nice. to see her every day. Oh. Um, but, you know, I went through those teenage years where it was rough. and I didn't, I'm sure. Oh, I, if you had asked me that. But definitely my grandmother. Yeah. And then I have another mother, Pat Sheldon, who also is very special to me. And honestly, my sister, my daughter, my stepdaughters, and, and my female friends, like, that's what sustains me. You surround me. yourself with really good women, it I sounds like. I wouldn't even, I wouldn't even be here without... My my female friends and I my male it. friends, my a few yeah. male friends too. <laughs> What's a bucket list travel destination for you? Well, I'm going to Bali in oh, June, Bali's so that is list. definitely on my list. And Vietnam and Thailand, like I really want to explore. I've been to Hong Kong and China quite a bit now. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hawaii is my Maui and um, Kauai are my favorite places on the planet right now. The airplane door opens and I get the air that hits me. You smell the flowers. I smell the sea and the flowers and the ocean. I can feel the vibes there, and I just relax. Like if you, if I never got off and you closed the door and I had to take off, I would have got my dose. Like, yeah, it rejuvenates me within twenty four hours. Yeah, it's it's pretty incredible. Um, what's the current book on your nightstand? The current book on my nightstand is, uh, I've got a few. One is called Educated, and the other one is called My Book Club. Almost read Educated. What's the other one that's on your nightstand? Just got it. It's about an FBI negotiating book. It's called, uh, oh, I'm blanking on it and I'm picturing it. Yeah, you're picturing it. That always happens to me. (laughs) I read multiple books and I'm big on Audible. Yeah. I love Audible. Do you say that you read it or that you listened to it? I've started to say I listened. Right? Yeah, because I think that you miss certain things when you listen. Yeah. And I also listen at like 2x. (laughs) That's what I do. It's very efficient. And So when it's like normal speed, I'm like, oh, my God, yeah, like, come on, let's it go. It depends who the reader is. I listened yeah. to um, Becoming, mm-hmm. Michelle Obama's oh. book on, um, audi- on I have Audible, her at her and it was normal her, speed. Uh, well, her normal speed is so soothing. She has mm-hmm. such a nice voice. Um, 
What would our listeners be surprised to learn about you? Uh, that I love to watch old Law & Order reruns. <laughs> and I still don't know exactly how they end until it ends. And then I'm like, oh, that's right. Um, I love to eat in bed. Yeah. I know you're not supposed to. You're not supposed to. I, uh, Maybe that's adding to the no sleep because you were telling me that no, you No, because now I sleep. Yeah. Does that help with sleeping? Well, I brought the TV back in the bedroom. I eat in my bed. Are you so excited? Oh, my God. Like, Eric and I will probably have we we'll dinner in, in, you know, in the dining room and then we'll... Probably like eat popcorn and have dessert in bed and watch movies. Yeah, David that's my and I, favorite. David thing. and I like to do that too. It's so fun. Um, how do you stay in shape? How do you uh, exercise? What kind of things do you do? I do yoga. I power walk, and that's pretty much it. Yeah, it's funny because some people get harder questions, like you know, person that you most admire and regret not. You know, oh. other things are heavy, and some are like. What kind of candy do you like to eat? Mm -hmm. And I, so I tried to mix it up a little bit so we didn't stump you too bad. You did great. People oh, get very stumped by the rapid are, fire part. Well, really? Oh, that yeah. was easy. Yeah. Um, okay. So tell me about you as a little girl because I've met you as a successful CEO of a killer company, IndieFlix, which we're going to get to. Um, you grew up in Breckenridge. And um, what brought you to Seattle? It's funny because I was just in Breckenridge in Frisco. And Vail uh, a week and a half ago. For, you ski? With one of my films. I did. It was uh, on Fridays we skied as part of PE. And, you know, I had wooden skis and cable bindings, you know, like I'm totally aging and dating myself. But, <laughs> um, yeah, it was part of PE. And I it, actually I was so stressed out about it. I had so much anxiety around it that I just wanted to get to the bottom as fast as I could. Mm -hmm. So then I ended up on the racing team the junior racing team, and I was one of the best because I just wanted to get to the bottom. That's interesting. And I didn't know how to get out of it because you couldn't get out of it. And so, um, you know, I did downhill and giant slalom. And when I moved to Seattle, uh, I didn't have to ski. What, what do you mean when you say you couldn't get out of it? Because it was part of PE. It was part of what you had to do for school. You couldn't get a, like... I was too good. Oh, my gosh. And the ski team needed me. Yeah. And, but I, and in those days, we didn't talk about anxiety. We didn't talk about stress. You know, if, if, if a kid complained they didn't want to do it or didn't like it or it scared them, it was like, yeah, buck stop up. it. Go. Yeah. You're doing this. There yeah. was no discussion. Yeah. Interesting. And so what brought you guys to Seattle? I know that I've read a little bit about you saying that you were bullied, which okay. actually surprised me. Well, so uh, we lived in Breckenridge. My dad was a developer. My mom and I were the only people of color in the entire Summit County. And Breckenridge in those days was a mining town. Mm. And we lived out in some subdivision called Warrior's Mark. And I went to school in Frisco, which was the only school in the entire county. Um, and they just looked at me and hated me. So they, you know, kicked me, spit on me, locked me in closets, ripped up my tests and report cards, smashed my lunch every day for like two years. And, um, you know, I would tell my mom and dad and they'd say, well, if they act like that, they're not worth having as friends. But when they're the only kids in the whole county. So I hung out with my dog and uh, Baron. He was a German shepherd. And I just spent a lot of time alone. I'd catch tadpoles. I'd go on long walks. I'd just roam the woods, you know, and there were bears and things. But I didn't wow. have any fear of that. Um, and then I would just, my goal was just to get through school. And I didn't have friends until Lisa Levy and her family moved to town. And they were Jewish. Yeah, you're like, now there's some other people of color. Well, they were different, right? Yeah. But they still looked white. And mm. I was, I'm being half Chinese. I didn't look completely white. And mm -hmm. my eyes were a little bit different looking. Is your mom Chinese? My mom's Chinese. And your dad is? Swedish and French. Okay. And so... Um, was it, is your mom traditional? Did she raise no. you in any way? No, my mom was born no. in the Bay Area. And she was an actress. And she's... Um, no, she's very, very Americanized, mm -hmm. and um, she speaks a little Chinese. Of course, mm -hmm. can really cook great, and we can all eat a lot. So Lisa Levy was my first friend, and she, um, we played in the summer because they lived, they moved there in the summer, and school was going to start. And I said, "Listen, when we go to school, just you don't know me. Don't don't hang out with me." Oh, that's heartbreaking. And she said, "Why?" And I said, "Because." Kids, they don't like me. And if you hang out with me, they're not. They're going to treat you badly. Trust me on this. Like this, I was trying to protect her. And she just thought that was crazy. She told her brothers, Kurt and Craig, who were older, 
that what was going on. They're like, what? Like, they didn't get it. Yeah. So we went to school. I tried to ignore her and be mean to her because I thought, I don't want to be friends with you at school because they'll treat you badly. And um, Susie, she was the one. She had big cowboy boots, and she used to just kick me all the time after she'd push me down. Where's Susie now? I don't know. I really want to find her, though. Susie, if you're listening to this, (laughs) redemption. And um, Craig and Kurt went to the Susie and Gary and basically just said, if you mess with her, you mess with us. You You have to back off. And so they did it. They just got more sneaky about it so that it would just be my word against theirs. And I never said anything. I just, there was no point. I tried and never, nothing ever came of it. And uh, one day I, I was walking out the door and Susie, I think it was Susie who pulled me by my ponytail and she pulled me back really hard and I fell back and I hit the concrete and just something snapped inside of me and I fought back. And I started punching her and they pulled me off and I got suspended. And, um, but when I went back, they they didn't, uh, they didn't physically abuse me anymore. They still, I was still not part of anything. I wasn't invited to parties. I didn't, and that was like glorious. To not have to deal with the physical aspect, I was happy. How old were you at this time? This was uh, fifth grade, and fourth, so fourth and fifth grade. Does this part of your story define you in some way? Yeah, I think it does. I've really come to terms with that in a great way because for the first, from like, you know, being a little kid up until fourth grade, actually, um, I spent a lot of time alone. So I had a tremendous imagination. And I and curiosity, probably. Curiosity, and I had to fill my time. And I got really comfortable, especially when they stopped physically abusing me and bullying me, and I was just kind of left alone and I became invisible. I really loved being invisible. I loved just being on the fringe of everything. And then, of course, you know, we moved. We moved to Denver for a year. And then uh, because of the gas rationing, mm. Um, we were on our way to Vancouver. My dad's a developer, so he was going to work with Grouse Mountain. And uh, we ended up getting stuck in Seattle because we couldn't buy gas on Memorial Weekend to go up to Canada. Oh, fascinating. So we got stuck here. We were, I think we stayed at the West End. And that's how you ended up here? And fell in love with Seattle. And my dad said, I think we should live here and I can commute up to Vancouver. So, And then he worked with Alpenthal and um, Hayek. And so he ended Very up... Very cool. So we stayed here and then I went to Lakeside. And I remember going into school thinking... Here we go again. It's, and my name is spelled so funny. It's S-C-I-L-L-A. So mm-hmm. it's an Italian spelling of an Irish name. Mm-hmm. But pronounced Sheila. Sheila. And the last name's Andrine. So I'm at the top and they go down alphabetically. So mm-hmm. I remember this was when uh, we were on 10th, uh, when it was at, uh, which is now Gage. Mm. That's where the middle school was. And so I went there the first day and they're like, just stand up when we call your name. Scalilia, Cilia, Andrine. I'm like, oh, God. I stood up and everyone's looking at me and laughing and I thought, here we go again. But nobody physically abused me. And and Kayla Black, who was in eighth grade, said, you are beautiful. Oh, my God, you're so exotic. You look so different. She put her arm around me and she goes, you're going to hang out with us. And I was like, oh, really? I didn't even know how to, like, process that. Yeah, especially then, seventh grade to eighth grade is like. And a new school. Yeah, that's awesome. And she was the most popular girl in the entire school. She endorsed you. She did. And I didn't even know it. I didn't know who she was. And where is she now? She's still a great friend. Oh, she is? Uh-huh. She, she was back east. She's an actress. And now she's back in um, yogi and rock climber. and That's Miss... so cool. Oh, she's still super cool, too. And she um, she kind of took you under her wing, it Took me like. in. And it was very awkward. Yeah. So I went from loving being invisible to... Wanting to fit in. Yeah. So where are you now on that? Because you're you're visible. Are you okay with attention? Um, good attention, yeah, like anybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, if it's but some... you put yourself out there in such a vulnerable way. Yeah, I do. I do it because of how I felt the first 12 years of my life. Yeah, and the story needs to be told to help other kids. Yeah, I, I just, I did vow to myself, and I think this is something I've learned is I was wired this way. Um I mean, I had the crap beat out of me, right, on a regular basis. And I didn't stand up for myself. And when I tried, it didn't It didn't work. It never worked. Were you worked. little? Were you physically little? No, I was average. I mean, I was skinny. Mm-hmm. Um, I was just dark, right? I had olive skin. I had half Chinese eyes, and I had dark black straight hair. And um, I, I think that even when I remember, there's this one time where they, Susie was kicking me in my sides, and I was like, hurting so much and then they rolled me into this sort of big closet like floor to ceiling and they closed it and I heard them like lock the thing not with a key but a latch and I was like and it was dark and I remember sitting in there and I thought 
God, if they only took the time to get to know me, they would see that I'm actually a pretty nice person. Mm-hmm. And I think they would like me. Like that was what you were thinking about all the time. And my goal was, how could I get them to just stop stop for a minute and see that I'm actually a nice person? Did you ever think maybe I won't like them? <laughs> like, you, no. know, you know how that sentence, no, like, I didn't think that women far. walk into a room and are thinking, like, what will they think right. of me versus what will I think of them? Right. Like, do I even want to be friends? No, I don't even think I still do that. <laughs> I still work on that, even when I was out raising yeah. money and stuff. I'd leave my power at the door. I wouldn't take it in with me. I'd go in and I'd think that everyone I was meeting with had way more power and intelligence than I did. And I was just grateful to be there to learn. This is so interesting to me because, um, you know, I have a strong personality and people often tell me that my presence is strong. When I met you, I felt like I was meeting also. Your match? My match plus, plus, plus. Mm, I really felt like I was meeting a very powerful, very aware very driven woman. And so it's working. If you fake it till you make it, maybe it's... I think that's... Well, I think it's... That fake it till you make it is... I mean, I've really had to, like, live by that. But I think all of us have something. We all have a story. We all have this reservoir of stuff to tap into. How do we get kids to tap into it, right? Mm-hmm. And I... It's took, taken all these years, but I'm finally realizing that actually I have something to offer. So what would you say fueled you as a kid? Was it the desire to be loved? Oh, absolutely. I wanted to, well, and I wasn't even asking for a lot. Like, I didn't need a lot of love. Just the, don't beat the shit out just of me. Just don't beat the crap out of me. Like, just, I'm happy to be invisible. I'm happy to be left alone. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't feel left out. I never have FOMO. Mm-hmm. Like, I know a lot of people do. That's a gift. I have FOMO. I don't have FOMO. I just, um, I always feel like, oh, at least I'm not being hurt. Yeah. Uh, And in fact, I find great joy. Like when I see things on social media and I see that there's this fabulous party or whatever, I'm like, look at they're having so much fun. How awesome is that? Like, I don't think, why wasn't I invited? So how how was your family life when you were a kid? It was good. You know, I mean, I was, (laughs) I grew up. You um, tell me you have siblings. I have a little sister who's, well, she's 10 years younger than me. So I was an only child for 10 years. And we lived in Breckenridge, Colorado, where there was not a house to be seen. And we didn't sit at the dining room table and have dinner every night. So when people say, you know, you can talk about tech at the dinner table or share your day at the dinner table, we didn't do that. This was my routine. Sheila, set up the TV trays. We're going to watch the news. And because we had the rabbit ears with the foil on it, mm. I had to move the antenna. You're taking I was, yourself. <laughs> I was the remote control. So I had to ch- go, Sheila, go change the channel. It. I remember it. I the was dial. Like, yeah. So I changed the channel. I set up the TV trays. Sometimes we'd have a fabulous meal because both my parents could cook really well. But sometimes we would have the Swanson's TV dinner, TV dinners, you know, with the brownie potato, and the, the gravy. fried chicken. Yeah. And yeah. so I have to say, those are good memories, the 70s. So I had those. In the morning, I always made my own breakfast. My parents slept in. I had Pop-Tarts or, you know, space snacks I would put into my lunch to get, because that was not something, honestly, they couldn't smash. So no Twinkies, no Hostess cupcakes, no Ding Dongs, because those would get smashed, and I couldn't eat them. And then I was um, I'm allergic to nuts, so I never had peanut butter and jelly, so I'd usually just have, like, bread and butter or that, you know, like, processed turkey slices yeah. that I'd put on a piece of bread, and I didn't like mayo or anything, so it was dry, and didn't even have fruit or carrots. Like, that was... So you didn't eat so healthy. I lived on processed foods. I watched... Ugh. I grew up on TV, because I had no friends, so I watched Gilligan's Island, McHale's Navy, Hogan's Heroes... Fantasy Island. Bewitched was my favorite. Love Boat. Oh, yeah. Love Eight is Boat. Enough. I Dream a Genie. All I didn't do Eight is Enough. Partridge Family, Brady Bunch. I, and so um, so fast forward. So you're in Seattle and you're at Lakeside. Did you go to? Did you graduate from Lakeside High School? I didn't graduate from Lakeside. I. They asked me to leave um, my sophomore Were year. Were you naughty? My, I wasn't naughty. Well, put it this way. I hung out with older kids. And it's funny because I don't know that Lakeside will appreciate this, but in the old days, um, there was a smoking, a senior smoking circle on the upper school campus. And so I was friends with the seniors and the juniors. And so I would hang out with them in the smoking circle and I got excellent grades and I never got caught. And I think that's what they didn't like. They thought it would be better for me to have a change of environment so that I wouldn't. So where did you go? I went to Annie Wright. Oh, in Tacoma? (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. And suddenly I was there at a boarding school hanging out with people that, um, I mean, they. I felt like not all, but so many of the people I was sort of hanging out with 
they felt broken in a way. And I felt like they were so, you know, like one girl had, her uncle had been, you know, molesting her. And they were telling me these stories that I'd never heard these kind of stories before. And suddenly I just felt like, wow, like this is, but I will say I, I finally got back into academics where I was actually like really into it, not just getting good grades to keep people off my back, but I was actually really interested mm-hmm. again. So that was really good. And then I went to Garfield. Oh, and then you went to Garfield. Mm-hmm. Great because schools. I, I left great out schools. <laughs> Garfield, Garfield. And then I went to NYU. Amazing. And dropped out. Okay, so I read that. That also surprised me. That I dropped out? Yes. Well, and everyone I thinks like you're I went, a rebel. Well, everyone thinks I went there for film. Um, well, NYU film school, incredible, but, I didn't. but you didn't. I was just, you know, general population. And um, I was studying political science. I was on that path because I wanted to be a litigator because I love the law. Law and Order, Perry Mason, like all of those shows I lived yeah. on. And I could just see myself, I don't know, arguing but for people. But NYU, that's intense. I don't think I could have taken it at 18. I worked two jobs and my parents got divorced and, you know, like I just sort of like kind of raised myself. When for, did they get divorced? When I was um, about two years after we moved to Seattle. Oh, gosh, what an intense time for you. It was. But you know what's funny is like, I didn't know anything else. It's actually, it was way easier than what I'd gone through living in Colorado, mm-hmm. right? Because at least I was physically safe. Mm-hmm. And, did you have to split time between two homes? Uh, yeah, I did. And so your sister is with a different uh, No, no, no. My, the same yeah. parents? Yeah, they oh, just okay. 10 years apart. Interesting. Okay. And uh, then we bought this massive house and uh, you know, had like eight bedrooms and seven bathrooms. And we lived there just for a very short period of time. And then they got divorced. My dad was on Capitol Hill. My mom was in Madison Park and then Hunts Point. And I was kind of going back and forth and my sister too. And Yeah. And so um, tell me about NYU and how you ended up deciding on NYU. So I originally, so I was um, in New York. I'd followed a boy out there was a model. And we broke up like a couple weeks after we got there. I thought he was kind of boring. And I thought you were just the reason I got to New York. Because yes. New York I thought was exciting. I was working in New York for Eli Zabar uh, at EAT on the east side. And that's a whole funny story how I got that job. Because I actually was in, initially working for a store called Saruti's, which was a children's clothing store on Madison Avenue. And, you know, like... Um, Yoko Ono would come in and shop privately. And um, Doris Hurdle, who owned the store, who was married to Jack Hurdle, who actually produced the Jackie Gleason show, I went in and and just to look for a job. And she hired me. And she'd never had children. And her husband was killed, actually, in a taxi accident. And for some reason, her sister told me, she goes, you know what, my my sister, and she was a tough New York woman, great buyer, knew everyone in fashion. And she said, you know, she's never taken anyone in under her wing, especially period, but especially someone off the street. So don't you ever mess with her. And I was like, I won't. I was so grateful for the opportunity. Working, you know, minimum wage, long hours, and all. I was just folding and folding, but she would take me to the mart, and we'd sit there, and they'd do the fashion, the you show. You got to do the buying? I got to accompany her everywhere, and she was introducing me to everyone. And they and her sister said, she's, she's teaching you everything she knows. And I was so grateful. I was so happy. One day, I'm walking up Madison, and in front of EAT when it was, I think it's at the Ralph Lauren store now, 72nd and Madison. And this guy comes out, this Puerto Rican guy named Jesus, and he throws his, ap- you know, his apron down. He's like, you know, screw, screw you, you yeah. Eli. And he storms off, and I sit there, and I saw the apron, and I picked it up, and I go inside, and I'm like, oh, here, this was out on the sidewalk. And Eli was there, and he goes, great, you're hired, put it on. And I said, oh, no, I'm not looking for a job. I have a job. And he goes, where do you work? I said, I'm just down at Cerruti's. I'm working there. I'm very happy. Here. And he goes, put it on. I said, put it on. And I said, I'm not putting it on. I don't, I have a job. I'm not even looking for a job. And he goes, well, why'd you come in here? I said, because I'm returning the apron. That's all. So I leave. And about two days later, he comes into Cerruti's. And he's standing there in his apron. He's all dirty. And he's like, where's the Chinese girl? This and I is... and I come out and I'm like, hi. And, he, and I thought he was there to say thank you for bringing the apron or whatever. And Doris was standing right there. And he said, how much is it going to take for you to come work for me? You came in. What, what, you know, and I said, no, I was just returning the apron. I don't want a job. And he said, you're Chinese. You're not Jewish, right? And I said, no. And he goes, okay, good. The no, not so many holidays. He said, so I want you to start on Monday. And I was like, I'm not. I, no, I don't want a job. I'm not working for you. And 
sorry. And I just sort of went back. And Doris looked at me and she goes, you're fired. And I said, no, he, I said, Eli, you need to explain to her like all this. And he just said, I'll see you on Monday. Oh my gosh. And it was. She felt that you had betrayed her, that you were looking for a job. And she didn't want to hear it. She didn't. She's like, why would he come in here? How does he know your name? You know, why, why did you go in there? She didn't believe me. (sighs) And so it was like. That's a crazy story. I lost that on that job. And then I. Looked for another job for a while. Couldn't find anything. Did you take the Zabar's job? About three weeks later, I tried to find another job. Yeah. And so I went in. I'm like, I guess I'll take your job. I have to take it because I need to pay my rent. Yeah. And I don't have any money. You just screwed me out of a job. So I thought I would use that to negotiate to get more money. Of course, I didn't, you know. But he said, just start. I went through so much abuse. He threw tomatoes at me. I mean, He he sounds like, I mean, just the way you're describing him, he sounds extremely aggressive. He was so aggressive, and on my first day of work, he said, I need you to make a crudité. And I'm like, I don't even know what a crudité is. And he said, Vogue magazine's coming in at 2 o'clock to shoot it. I need you to make it now. And I'm like, holy cow. And I'm sitting there. I don't even know. I'm like, what is a crudité? And some of the guys in the back were like, it's vegetables. You have to make it into a beautiful basket. I'm like, oh, crap. So I had a friend help me. They shot it for Vogue. And um, and then I think on that Friday, I went to Bianca Jagger's house. They were catering a gig, and I was there. And that's where I met my boyfriend. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. And why did you drop out of NYU? Because the boyfriend that I met was a director, and he did commercials. And so we ended up dating, and that was a whole other story. Wait, hold on. You worked at the catered party, and he was was a guest? Yes, and I was passing the caviar. And he's sitting there, and he keeps eating it. And I'm just like, okay, i got to go. Because I've got, you know, Russian, you know, beluga or saruga caviar and the creme fraiche and the crab blinis, and I'm trying to, like, get around the whole rooftop. And he's like, oh, no, don't go. I'm, and he just kept eating it. And I'm like, I, I, I have to go. Like, I can't stand here and have you eat it all. Do you know, it's like $120 an ounce. You know, like I was trying to explain to him. And he said, he was flirting with me and he kept eating it. And he got all the creme fraiche in his mustache. And I looked at him and I said, you know what? You're a pig. I have to go. And I thought, oh, crap, I'm going to get fired. And I left and I didn't see him. And I had a second job at a place called La Zinc down around the corner from Odeon in Tribeca. So I was there at night. Somehow he found me, and he came in, and he asked me out on a date. And, and how I, long did you date him? A couple years. Oh, wow. We moved in together. And so he was doing all these big commercials, and one of his um, stylists that did the big commercials with him, she didn't show for one of the fittings or whatever, and he was all nervous. So that night he said, can you help me do it? You love to shop. You loved." I said, yeah. So he goes, Go to Macy's, here's the kid sizes, get five of everything, no logos, no big stripes, you know, like nothing big. I'm like, okay. And I did it, and then I went to work the next the next um, week, and I fit all the kids and the families. It was a surf detergent big campaign launch, and I, it was nice, and there was food, and it was— You I kind got, of fell in love with being on the set? I got $800 a day, and I oh, was, yeah. I didn't know rules, so I was like hanging out at Video Village, and I'm like, you know what, we should have him move over there, and, and Andy's looking at me like, okay, just— be quiet. Don't yeah. talk. It was yeah. amazing. I did the styling. And then the uh, the agency liked me. So they said, can you ever do the Manufacturer's Hanover Trust gig too? And that took us around the country. So we did that. So I so I dropped out of school to do that. I was making $800 a day. Yeah. How are you going to say no to that? As a 19-year-old. Yeah. So I was all over it. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And fell in love with styling and then did costume design. And so then you broke up with him and moved to L.A.? <laughs> He wanted to get married. And I was like, marriage? You're like, I'm like, 12. I'm not like 21 now, right? Yeah. So, Was he older? Nine years older. Yeah. So, And so what took you to Los Angeles? My mom had moved to Los Angeles from Seattle. Mm-hmm. Wanted to get back to her acting roots. So I went to see her, and I ended up getting a little independent movie that I did out of the trunk of my car. And then I was watching the Super Bowl, and the Wonder Years aired the pilot. And I fell in love with that show. Like something I love that show. happened in my body. And I went down there, found where the offices were. And I went and I said, look, I will sweep floors. I will do anything. I have to work on this show. And they said, we're not hiring. And I went back. I think I went back every week for about three weeks. And on the last week I went in, the costume designer that was doing it was there. And they said, oh, she loved, because they got to know me down there. Like, we just, we don't have anything for you. And yeah. I said, honestly, I'll do anything and I'll work for free. And then she said, How were you able to work for free? Oh, I couldn't. Like, I needed to make money. Yeah, I just said it. Maybe I'll wait tables at night. Exactly. Yeah. And um, the costume designer, uh, Deborah Kramer, said, She can sort hangers 
for me. <laughs> so I started sorting hangers, and then they found out I was sorting hangers, and they're like, you can't have her climbing ladders and doing all these things. There's no protection if she gets hurt. You have to put her on payroll. So then they put me on payroll, and then Deborah Kramer got fired, and they brought in another designer. So I was like, I had learned everything, so I was showing her the ropes and how it works and how what the producer's like. And she lasted three episodes, and she's like, why aren't you doing it? And I said, I don't know. I never thought about that. So when she actually quit because she didn't like it, and they said, we're going to bring in someone else. We need you to train them. And I said, no, you need to Just give hire it to me. me. Yeah. And they said, well, no, we need to bring a designer. And I said, no, you, I'm doing it. You give me a shot, and if you don't like it, I mean, you can hire someone else and I'll train them. Yeah. So um, they said, all right, we'll let you do it. So I did it, and my first episode was The Birthday Boy. <laughs> which got nominated for an Emmy. That's amazing. I didn't even know what an Emmy was. They're like, congratulations on your Emmy nomination. I'm like, what is that? <laughs> for co- for costume design. Yeah. That's incredible. You had it a was fun. for it. So would you say that you felt um, clear that you had found your thing? Yeah. Just being on the set, being around uh, oh, media, entertainment. It. Yeah, and I was into all of it. Like I could, I, I see it all, right? Like, from the lighting to the makeup to the hair to the set design, like my eyes brain. don't miss anything. It processes yeah. it. So, um, like producing, I love. Mm-hmm. It's easy. Mm-hmm. Directing is a little more challenging, but I love it because it makes me uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, do you like being the boss? Now I do. But yeah. I'm, it's not that I need to be the boss. I don't always have to call the shots. In fact, I remember so much of my life. I was like, don't tell me what to do. Mm-hmm. I'm now in a period of my life. I'm like, I wish someone would just tell me what to yeah. do. Have you ever had a mentor? Like I'm hearing little bits of people that have kind of pulled you out. Yeah. But you know, I haven't heard anybody be like, let me teach you. It sounds like you've taught yourself. I have taught myself by surrounding myself with people who are kind of challenging, who are hard on me. Mm-hmm. I think in some ways that's part of the bullying you can You can thank, um, what's her name, Susie? Susie. Kinda. Yeah. I mean, you know, I've asked people to be on my boards or whatever who are, they're hard on me. Mm-hmm. And I feel like, you know, like Rocky, because I don't have the funding to do the things that the other people do. And yet I have to train in the woods with the, you know, like yeah. it's always a little bit harder. But I'm, you know, I'm in it to win it. That's awesome. And so, um, so you're in LA, you're working on the Wonder Years. And how did you get into filmmaking? Did you transition? I wanted to, uh, so I would play around, write scripts, and they'd read it and give me feedback. And then I asked if I could direct. And then the show ended, mm-hmm. you know, because they always, like, book them out pretty far. Then I went on to Party of Five, and that was really fun. I loved Wonder Years and Party of Five. Oh, I worked on great shows, which is why I was spoiled with great scripts, great actors, mm-hmm. great producers. I, You know, I got to know the network and the studio and... You know, became friends with everyone, and we mm-hmm. all kind of came up the ranks together. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, when we were doing and the Wonder Years, Julian Lennon was dating Olivia Dabo, so he was always around. And Juliet Lewis was dating Jason Hervey, and then, uh, and then she was meeting, uh, dating Brad Pitt for a while when he was doing Thelma and Louise, and like I so, that. all these people were hanging out on set, and we just were like family. Yeah, you know. And so, how does it feel being on the set of a TV show versus a film? Well, a film is—they're both. I love them both. They're my tribe. They're my people. I feel very comfortable. Um, what I like about TV is it moves much more quickly. You know, in film, you can do four or five setups. Mm-hmm. TV, you do 25 to 26 setups. Mm-hmm. Like, you move at lightning speed. And as a costume designer, I would be prepping the first week. Then the second week, I would be shooting the episode I was prepping, and I'd be prepping the next episode. And by week three, I was shooting, prepping, and wrapping all in one week. Mm-hmm. And we would do that for 23 episodes. So I would work nine months out of the year, and then I would take, I would have a hiatus where I would do my own personal projects. Yeah. And so what's your, um, when you were in the trenches before you started your own company, um, what was your special sauce? Like, I am the best at, or I'm most confident when Mm. I'm blank. Well, I am the best at dealing with difficult people. (laughs) That's a skill in Hollywood. I mean, that was my reputation. Oh, wow. You're like, six, I was, six Sheila on him, she'll deal. Oh, they were like, oh, get Sheila. And they'd, I mean, I had one time. And how do you do that? Do you I have a strategy? It, or you go just, back to the bullying, right? Like, I had difficult. But the bullying strategy of letting him give it to you doesn't well, but, really work in Hollywood. You have to push. It was the time that you punched back. That's kind of what works. I think what I do with people, what I feel with people is that 
they want to, no matter how you conduct yourself, people want to know that they matter. People want to know that they're heard. And so I would let them know I hear them and I see them and I accept them. Do you say those words? I do in various ways that they'll understand that. Interesting. I don't just say, oh, yeah, I agree with you because I don't want them to be awful to me. I mm-hmm. I try to give – I don't say – I gave up trying. I can't say that. I gave up trying can't. I don't I say those that. words anymore. Um, so I catch myself when I say them. I've, I've pretty much dropped it, and it is game-changing. I highly recommend it. So we're going to give up try and can't? Mm-hmm. Okay. I don't think I say can't very much. I'm pretty sure I say try a lot. I think we all do. You try to lose weight. You try to save money. We'll try to get to the party. We'll try. You either are or you're not. Yeah. I like that. Oh, gosh. I really like that. Well, it's empowering. It gave me, it gave me a little angst, a little anxiety. <laughs> Speaking of that, we're transitioning to IndieFlix because otherwise I'll be keeping you here all day. Um, you started IndieFlix. How did you have the confidence, the money, the contacts to do that? Well, um, I didn't have any of that. I <laughs> I had this burning desire to create something that I felt didn't exist. Mm-hmm. And I've actually have a different view of it all now as, as I'm older. But I, as make, making our first feature and taking it out and going to festivals and meeting filmmakers and seeing how many films are made, like 60,000 films made every year and a nano percent get picked up for distribution. And there are some really great movies out there. And the, there's also, you know, tens of thousands of just turds too, right? So, well, But then you watch TV that's terrible TV and you're like, why did that get picked up? Exactly. It's got an audience, right? And it's got advertisers who's going to pay. But um, when I started to realize it was our first feature film, we got three offers, Warner Brothers, Lionsgate, and Artisan with a $100,000 advance. And they were going to own it for 20 years. We knocked them down to seven. They could change the title. That changed, like All these things, no cap on marketing expenses. They didn't even have to release it. And I thought, okay, wait, we made this movie for like $700,000, which was considered so dirt cheap in those days. They're offering me 100000 up front. It's going to cost me 80000 to deliver everything so that they can release it. And they might not release it. And there was no cap on expenses that all had to be recouped first. Like all these things. This was my legal love of the law and contracts that I was reading through these contracts and I thought we're never going to make our money back to pay back investors. And the filmmaker isn't protected. No. And I just thought this is ridiculous. And this was my first producing gig on a feature film. So um, Carlos Candizzi, who's my um, co-founder with IndieFlix, he said, why don't we start our own company? So we went around, did some research, and then I had a dream about the name IndieFlix. It's such a good name. It is a good name. It's, it's gone through its name. iterations. And I, you know, I, I dreamt that I was in New York. I was obviously on Central Park South because I could see the, the, I was high up. I could see the park, floor to ceiling windows. And, you know, I dream like a filmmaker. And so it was some sort of a cocktail party. And someone said, oh, do you know Sheila? She has a company called IndieFlix. Oh, I love IndieFlix. So then I stand up out of frame and I woke up. So I went, and in those days, I think it was Network Solutions. And so I typed in IndieFlix, and it was available. It was $800, which was like, oh, my God, that's, that's so expensive. That's an incredible gift, and I bought though, it. to get that name. It's such a good name. We got it in every version, spelling of yeah. it. And Tell our listeners more about the business model and yeah. why it's different. I and it's it. changed again. But um, we launched originally as DVD On Demand. Mm-hmm. Netflix wasn't even doing streaming. This was 2005. And then um, we basically, we gave the lion's share to the filmmakers, and we basically invested in them. And the idea was that they would help market it because they were so good at marketing it at the festivals. Let's just carry it over into distribution, and that we would then be this platform. We launched, we had a New York Times, two-page Sunday arts and leisure section. I mean, it was just ridiculous. It was so great. But what I learned in the process is that filmmakers are people too, and they are not good at marketing their own content. Mm-hmm. They can do it for a short period of time at the film festival, and that's it. But when it came to distribution, they were like, I'm not a distributor. I don't know how to market. And I'm like, but you just were doing it at the festival, and you did such a great job. Well, that's different. That's you know. So I learned a lot about that. Mm-hmm. And um, and then we, streaming came in, which was great. So then it was, um, again, the lion's share. We now do a 50-50 rev share with the filmmakers. I cut about 6,000 titles out of the library. We had over 10,000 titles. We now have 5,000 titles. We stream globally. It's a 50-50 
revenue split of the net based on every minute watched. And what's the vetting process to make sure that the film is worth being on IndieFlix? So now, uh, about two, 18 months ago, I pivoted the company to be kind content of, for a purpose. Yeah, purpose-driven. Edutainment. So I still want it to be, and I had a hard time with that because I'm, people are like, what's your favorite genre? And I'm like, oh, I love all genres. I like the big shoot 'em up you know, totally overstimulated kind of big tech, you know, 10 pole movies. And I like the little tiny quiet dramas. I like them all. Uh, people always think I love indies. I don't love indies. I just love good movies, mm-hmm. good stories. I you don't like care. have a feeling. Yeah. I just want to be engaged. Mm-hmm. I learn through movies. Oh, I think we're here to learn from each for other. Sure. We, we, I find people to be like a little movie. I learn from their lives, right? 100%. Do you um, feel successful? That's a really good question. You know what makes me feel successful is that I wake up every day and I can't wait to go to work. That to me is feeling successful. Mm-hmm. Um, and where does money fit into this for you? Is, are you oh, driven by it? I always thought I was, but clearly I'm not. But I I live a really rich life. And this is where our, like all my friends come in. I travel the world because I'm asked to go there by schools or corporations that, you know, pay for my travel. Yeah. And I get to speak to lots of smart people and mm-hmm. meet great people. And I'm taken out to fabulous dinners. And I get to stay at friends' homes because they have second and third and fourth homes. And they're like, well, it's empty. Stay there. Don't get a hotel. Or I love staying with people, too, because then I get to visit with them. It's so much different. You wake up in your PJs and just hang. And have coffee. Yeah, and we get to catch it. up. And I love that. So I have some of the most... I feel I am rich because of my friends. Your relationships make you rich. Unbelievable. And so I feel, yeah, I feel really successful. Um, There are times where the company has great quarters, and that feels more validating Mm -hmm. than successful or rich. I feel successful because I have a lot to give, and I can give it. Mm -hmm. And it's not money necessarily, but it may be. Sometimes it is a little money. Um, Just watched one of your films at Mercer Island. I texted you after. Yeah. Like. Like. And I left there feeling angst, ironically, <laughs> because of all the social media. And it's so challenging to be a parent right now. With, it's yeah. like, I think it's a hard time to be a kid with all the social media and just all the craziness. And, I, and I'm not surprised that anxiety is at an all-time high because yeah. it's just the world that we're living in. Yeah. Um, and I love that you're covering these subjects as a mom because yeah. it, it's different for them to see it in a film than for them to hear it from me. I love that the kids love this movie. Yes. There were a lot of kids there that I asked after and moms that I yeah. spoke to after that said that their kids made a conscious effort to just be aware mm-hmm. of the addiction part of it and um, just what it does to their psyche and how it makes them feel inside. Don't you, know, you love so Leah stupid. Perlman's um, – Leah Perlman, the co-creator of the yeah. Facebook Like button, when she talks about JOMO? Yes. The joy of missing out. JOMO I have heard in the last year or so mm-hmm. and I have transitioned to JOMO. I used to kind of say yes to more things, and now I'm really enjoying saying no. It's part of getting older, too. <laughs> <laughs> I know. It's hard for teenagers to say, you know, no, I'm going to stay home Yeah, um, and miss out on everything. <laughs> yeah. There's so much to talk about with indie flicks. Um, which film are you most proud of? Ooh, that's like saying which kid am I most proud of. I know. Of? That's hard. They're all your babies. They're all my babies. Or which but- one did you feel most moved by? Or personally um, touched by? Finding Kind, which was our first one, changed my life. And, in fact, I was just with Lauren and Molly yesterday. Yesterday? No, the day before. And it was like we, I mean, we've been together for almost 10 years now. And that movie, because it's about girl bullying, was my way of fulfilling a promise to myself. When I was locked in that closet in the dark, I used to think, not only if they took a moment to get to know me, that they'd find that I was okay, but that if I could ever do anything in my life to prevent another human being from feeling this way, I would take that opportunity. And so Finding Kind gave me that opportunity. Oh, that's amazing. And it um, was such a fulfillment thing that I had to do that I started doing offline screenings. And my board and investors were like, wait a minute, you are the CEO of a streaming service. And now you're going in to do screenings in schools? Like you're not even going to make money. And it's like, it's not the point. Yeah. The point is to have a positive effect on communities, to let kids know they're not alone, to get people talking. And um, now, I mean, gosh, we're in 50 countries. 
and angst, I will say, if, if I had to say one that I'm just the most proud of, angst is only just out over a year. Mm-hmm. It's been subtitled into seven languages. We just dubbed it into Spanish. It is now being part of an ongoing education curriculum for that, educators. That's incredible. It's being used in therapy with mental health professionals, in rehabs, VA hospitals, emergency rooms. I didn't know that it would have the reach that it has. And so we have, you know, like a 43-minute version. We have a 56-minute version. We've just now created mini clips and quizzes. And from that, I've come to learn so much about mental health and how important it is. Mm-hmm. The schools were so afraid to book it. They're just like, well, we only have one counselor. And what if it gets flooded with kids? It's like... There are worse problems to have. Exactly. We can figure it out. Know. But honestly, to this date, at all the screenings, maybe one or two more kids will show up. That's it. And those mm-hmm. are two you didn't know about. But what's happening is kids are talking to each other. They're talking to their parents. They're talking to their teacher, their coach. Like, the conversations really cracked open. And... um and then they're like, do you have anything else to keep it going? Because like, we don't have any systems in place yet. We're getting systems in place. So it's really great to see that happening. And So, so they want you to provide more curriculum? Yeah. So I was like, okay, because I'm, I'm going to do this, right? Because kids are dying. There's school shootings. Like, this has got to stop. And if this film is getting people to take note and feel like they can do something, awesome. So I was out looking around, talking to people. I couldn't find any program that felt um, accessible and, you know, not intimidating or you didn't need to be a licensed professional to execute on it. And so I just sat down one day out of pure frustration and just thought, I'm going to create a creative coping toolkit. We're not going to call it mental health. And it's going to be a preventative tool. It's going to have, we're going to gamify talking about our emotions, how we can ask for help. How do you respond when you're asking for help? How do you get your kid to talk to you when they don't want to talk to you? How do you get your friend to acknowledge there might be some issue. You're saving lives. This is big. People are saving their own lives. I mean, yeah. like, they're, these tools are, they're so simple. The foundation of it is cognitive behavioral therapy. Mm-hmm. And so it's peer-led, but it can also be facilitated by a teacher. And now we've got corporations saying, you know, can you, can you make one so, like, team building or whatever? Is there a revenue model there? Yeah. Oh, great. It's cheap. It's dirt cheap, your invest Then your investors can be. They're happy. Everybody's happy. Everybody's happy. Um, yeah, but I made it really affordable because, of course, schools don't have money. Mm-hmm. And um, I would love to learn more about this. Yeah. Like, this is inc- and where can our listeners find out more? You'll be able to find everything on IndieFlix.com. When I pivoted, the company became more edutainment, only edutainment focused, and sort of sloughed off 6,000 titles. And now we have our 5,000 titles. And we have our sort of tentpole movies, mm-hmm. the movies that are screening mm-hmm. offline in schools and theaters, and now the toolkits and the sort of, I guess you could call that merch if we were in This Hollywood. is amazing. It's like IndieFlix 2.0. It's very yeah. cool. And Probably so, IndieFlix 5.0. 5.0. Do you have a laundry list of subjects that you want to make sure you cover? Totally. And I have a lot that are suggested to me. Oh, I'm like sure. the opioid crisis oh. has been probably the most requested body image. Um, I have 31 episodes, and we're, we've got one on money that we're doing. Uh, the one on gaming called Level Up. We've got um, we have six in the pipeline. That's amazing. When are you sleeping, and how are you relaxing? I meditate. Oh, you meditate? Do you mm-hmm. use an app or anything? No. I used to use apps, and I used to do guided meditations, and then I was kind of like, shut up. You're like, I got this. Yeah, so then I switched over to TM. I did started doing mm-hmm. transcendental meditation, and then I kind of – I do 20 minutes every morning, and I do probably 10 in the – sometime throughout the day. And then sometimes when I really need it, I do my own sort of – I call it three breaths, and I actually put it in the toolkit. And you take the first breath, and, and it takes 30 seconds because, you know, we don't, we don't have time. But it changes the brain. So the first, 30, the first 10 seconds, you breathe in. And you make a wish for yourself. And the second breath, you breathe in and you make a wish for another person. And in the third breath, you breathe in and you make a wish for a collective. Maybe it's your company or your family or your country or whatever it is. And then you just sort of go, okay, and go about your day. And you're done. But doing that, like, do you know that in the first 60 seconds of meditation, your brain gets flooded with serotonin? That creates a feeling of well-being which boosts your immune system. So I'm never sick. I think when I, like one, every two or three years, if I do get like a really bad cold or something, because my body's just saying, you need to replenish a little bit. (laughs) Yeah, you're on the road too much time to. I think being on the road so much, it's like um, 
I don't know, like preventative medicine. I think I'm exposed to so much that it's right. like a vaccine. Like right. I feel like I've been exposed to everything. Yeah, that's, that's true. <laughs> um, and so I love this. I feel like you've given us some really good nuggets to take away. We haven't even covered you, the mom. Oh, yeah. You, the wife. Uh-huh. Um, the stepmom. Tell me how your life has changed as a mother. Mm. So I actually never really thought about, like, I never was that kid who dreamed about having kids in the picket, white picket fence in the house or anything. I just, I don't know. I just didn't. I thought about mm-hmm. other things. I always wonder How many kids do you have? We have six. We have a blended family. Okay. And um, I was married 18 years and had two kids, Ian and Natalie. And then I was single for a year and I decided that I would, you know, I'd started IndieFlix and I was just making change. My dad died. I got divorced. I started a company, and then I decided to move and raise my children back up in Seattle. I was living in L.A. My son said, you know, I just want you to go on a date because one day I'm going to grow up and go to college, and you need to have someone in your life. And I'm like, seriously, I'm fine. I don't don't need to go on a date. He said, just one date, Mom. So I went to the last guy who'd asked me out, and I said, you know, remember you asked me out? Well, let's go. And he goes, why the change of heart? And I said, because I promised my son one date, you're it. You're the craft service guy on a TV show and A-list movies. Good for you. You have four kids. I would never date someone like you, but we're doing this so I can fulfill my promise to my son. And he was like, ooh, okay, let's just do it for your son. And so we went on a date for lunch when the show ended, and Cupid shot the arrow in my heart. We had the best time. I laughed so hard like I hadn't in a year. And... um he let me eat off his plate. We had a 12-hour date. Turns out we had all these mutual friends who one of them was having a party. We went over there, and I fell in love. And then nine weeks later, I moved, and he helped me move, and he and all of his kids moved with me. And we all moved to Seattle and moved into this little rental. Wow. And all my friends were like, have you lost your marbles? Of course. And then they met him, and they're like, okay, we get it now. I haven't had the opportunity to he meet is, him, but he seems amazing. Oh, I think they all love him more than me. He's that good. He's that good. So yeah. you scored. I scored, and I we I we've, I've spent the last fifteen years laughing. Oh, I love that. laughing and crying because we did lose one of our kids. Yeah. And how did she pass away? Cervical cancer. Uh, living in Ireland, and, and and the reason that they're in like is because we wanted to show some of the good that social media has. The good. I did like that impact. part. I have to say, I have a love hate relationship with social media, and everybody um, does. Everybody does. But it did, um, when I was living in New York, a gal that I grew up with lost her son and put it on Facebook. Everybody was posting about it from high school. And people from 10 years older than us to 10 years younger and everyone in between was rallying around her. Mm -hmm. And I saw the power of the community that she had on Facebook. It's I mean, people feel it on their birthdays. It's like you feel, and when you lose, not just a child, but I think... Parent or even mm-hmm. a, a pet, you feel so isolated and alone. You feel so not part of something. And mm-hmm. so, I mean, one of the benefits which we didn't expect when this happened was the amount of love that we felt forced on us. Like we were like, that's okay. You know, like we didn't want to bother people with what was going on in our lives. And the love that we was just, we were just flooded in love to the point where we are to this day overflowing with love. And I think that's how we will spend the rest of our lives. We deserve it. Well, and it's part of our mission now. Like, Mm -hmm. and I don't know that everybody goes through that when they lose someone. Mm -hmm. I think you have a choice. Um, Sure, we think about that she's not here. We don't get this this or that or that. We don't think she's missing it because there's also, you come to this realization that, you know, when it's your time, it's your time too. But the love we feel is I never could have imagined that I could feel this love. Or that I was capable of giving so much love. And, you know, the more you do, the the more more you get get to. Of course. Of course. And the movie Angst about anxiety, which I also loved, is that something you've dealt with personally? Oh, so, yeah. You know, it's funny. I got asked a question once in a Q&A. Like, what surprised you most in making this? And what surprised me was that I have anxiety. Mm -hmm. I have social anxiety. I never knew that. I always just thought I was kind of broken. That I was just a little bit less than everyone else. And that I would never tell anyone that because then God knows what would happen. Um, So to learn that I was textbook and that some of the hacks that I had created on my own were actually pretty good hacks, Mm -hmm. uh, I was relieved. How does social anxiety show up? 
Oh, my gosh. Like you're going into a party and you have to mentally prepare. If I can get out of the house to go to the party. I don't have anything to wear. I will look like crap. It doesn't fit. I can't. I'm not comfortable. I feel ugly. What, what I, will I talk about? Is it all physical stuff? Everything you've talked about is It's mostly physical. physical. Um, but you're beautiful. But I also feel like I'm boring. I don't have any good, like, comebacks. I'm not funny. I'm, you know, I mostly like to go to hear other people's stories. Um, and so I came up with a hack from very young. And because I travel a lot on my own to places where I don't know anyone, my hack is that I will go in and the first thing I do is I um, get something to drink, something to eat. I go to the bathroom and I leave. And anyone I meet within that cycle is who I talk to. And if it takes 20 minutes, it's 20 minutes. And I'm out. And I'm like, yes, I did it. Most of the time, it takes two or three hours because I meet such interesting people along the way. And now that I've made angst, I can say, I can express my own anxiety. And it turns out nine out of the ten people I talk to are like, oh, me too. Yeah. I almost didn't come because I couldn't find anything to wear. Yeah. I'm like, oh, I've had that happen. Mm-hmm. Or like Eric will sit there. He's learned to wait on the couch. And he, didn't, he used to say, are you ready? We got to go. We're going to be late. We're going to be late. And I'm like... This doesn't feel right. And it wasn't the clothes. It was it just... You weren't comfortable in your own skin. Yeah. Yeah. So you felt that like crawling out of your skin feeling. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. I don't know if I have... People would be like, yeah, right, Shawnee. You do not have social anxiety. But people anxiety. say that to me too. But everybody would laugh. Because I have the big personality, sometimes I feel the pressure to carry the room. Right. And so it would be like, oh my gosh, what is wrong with her if I just came in and sat down? people would panic. It would be like, she's in a depression, there's something going on. I've literally never done that. My dad is amazing at a party because he has long conversations with like a few people and I touch everyone just a little bit. And I'm realizing that I leave a little bit dissatisfied. Like I didn't really have any real conversations. I felt the need to spread my energy to everybody, which also makes me happy and brings me joy because I'm a total extrovert. But sometimes I realize I'm, at this stage of life, really want connection. You're craving more. I crave more. And so I do much better at smaller dinner parties. And like a big thing, I kind of find that I just want to kind of go in and out. Mm -hmm. It's just not very satisfying to me because of how I do it. I don't know how to do it any other way. But part of, I think also you have this sort of, I'm a big believer in energy. Mm -hmm. So beyond just the conversation, I think it's important that we have this exchange of energy too and Mm -hmm. you have a really good energy that when you go around you're kind of sprinkling your your fairy dust too well a lot of people say that i want to be in your energy and and that makes me feel great but i also have a very negative ying to that yang is that i i'm not the person who's talking to one person and thinking is there someone more important to talk to but i feel you get depleted i get add i get like distracted and so i'm kind of talking kind of not present and i feel that that's very rude I don't know how to be 100% into one person at a party. It's very challenging for me. <laughs> I think I'm ready for some meditation. It's really, I got to tell you, and it's and can I just tell you the secret? Like people think, oh, I don't have time. That's the first one you hear. Or my, I'm just always thinking too much. It's like, yeah, that's what meditation is. Like you are thinking. You can't stop your thoughts. Like you can't stop your heart beating. Mm-hmm. That is what happens. Mm-hmm. What, hap- what meditation is is disconnecting your emotions from those thoughts. So they're like passing by. That's all. It gives you such clarity and grounding. Like it kind of just like clicks your energy into place. Okay, I'm going to start. It's really cool. It's like wearing a really comfortable pair of shoes instead yeah. of shoes that are too tight. Yeah, I love it. So in the beginning, I asked you kind of what fueled you as a kid. Mm. What is fueling you now? Love. I think it's what it is. It's, you know, it's so cliche. Like, But I really feel it. I feel... I I feel like, sure, I can break down things like I love people's stories. I was just at an Orthodox girls' school down in uh, L.A. on Tuesday night, and um, I hadn't brought the proper attire. Like, I had jeans and a skirt that was too short, and so I was like, oh, I got to cover up or whatever. I went in there, and it was like the love in the room and the commitment to family, and I was like, I'm with my people. And, you know, like, the love is what fuels me, replenishes me, keeps me going, gives me energy, helps me sleep, helps me be forgiving, not judgmental, present. It's like that's my, that's it for me. I love it. And this is incredible. And I think people are going to get so much out of this. I feel feel lifted up. (laughs) I really do. You've got, talk about good energy. You've got good energy. I feel grounded around you. I feel protected. I feel very grounded every day. And I think that is love. 
Yeah. Oh, well, you know, like attracts like here, huh? Gratitude. (laughs) Love you. Well, it is the most powerful energy in existence in the universe, right, is is love. Mm -hmm. It is... It'll cut through the bullshit. It'll cut through something hard. Even when I'm sitting there and in the days when, you know, am I going to make payroll or, you know, like that kind of thing. Love gets you through it. It makes you strong. It makes you see clearly. It gives you vision. It guides you. It's your radar. Listen to it. I love it. Thank you so much for being here. Well, thanks for having me. So grateful. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the What Fuels You podcast. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, Google Podcasts, or Spotify, and follow us on social media to keep up with the latest news and episodes. You can also contact us at podcast at fueltalent.com to provide feedback, ask questions, and share topics or guests you would like us to cover in the future. We hope you feel inspired by our guests and that we have helped fuel your day. Join us next time for another episode of What Fuels You. 